0: welcome to the Positively Joy podcast. I'm your host, Yvette Walker. And today we have with us Mashon Simon, who is assistant pastor at House of Mercy Everlasting in the metro Atlanta area. Hi, Mashon. How are you?
1: I'm well. How are you today?
0: Oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. Thank you for being on the show.
1: No problem. It is my pleasure.
0: Well, you were, when, when I saw your your Facebook feed in particular, I mean, as I mentioned before, you're doing a lot of great things and you'd be a great guest anyway, but I saw (laughs) something on your Facebook feed that we'll talk about in a minute that I thought was really the best thing I'd seen in a long time. But before we get into that, uh, you're an assistant pastor, but you've also worked in leadership and journalism and all types of things. Tell me a little bit about your career path. Uh,
1: my career path is a rather unexpected one, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the funny thing is, I was talking to my therapist about this recently, Um, one, because I believe wholeheartedly that everyone should have a therapist at some point in their life. Um, And two, because I feel as though my mental health is, um, should be priority number one for my life based off of the work that I do across the board. Um, And so we were talking about this reality that we're in in the midst of this pandemic and how sometimes overwhelming it can be being that I have my hands in so many areas and ministry being one of them. Um, and I told her ministry was never the goal. Pastoring was never a part of the plan. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and so the the position or the title of assistant pastor is actually very new. I was announced assistant pastor of this church, House of Mercy Everlasting, in March of this year. So mm-hmm. in March 2020, which is what two months ago. Right. Um, (laughs) I became assistant pastor of this church. I had been a member of this church for now. Wow. Six years. It'll be six years in November. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a place that I'd never intended on being. I'd never had a goal of being a pastor. I never had a goal of being a member of this church. Um, I had a plan of moving to Canada Um, In 2013 and getting a PhD in preaching, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a homiletics professor um, because
0: Now, 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 let's, let's explain that a little bit for our listeners.
1: Okay. Okay. So homiletics is the art or practice of preaching. Um, I had developed a, I had determined or realized, I guess is probably the better phrase, that I had a knack for putting together sermons, Mm. which should not make too much sense. I mean, should make a lot of sense being that I am a writer by trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being a preacher, again, was never something I had planned on doing. I had decided back in 2009 that I would um, hear what it was that God was trying to say to me yes. um, and submit in a way that I had never wanted to submit before. So at that time, I was um, on a one-year fellowship with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as a breaking news reporter. Mm-hmm. This was back in 2009, and I had been hearing the whispers from people around me that I that ministry was a part of my life and I had a call on my life, and I was hesitant to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very happy with being a journalist, very happy with being a writer, very happy with being a part of the local and national Association of Black Journalists. Very happy with where I was in my life. I had a goal of eventually becoming a syndicated newspaper columnist and a recruiter. I wanted to be a corporate recruiter. Mm -hmm. And during my time at the AJC, uh, I was a part of this church in Atlanta where there were people around me who just kept saying, you're a preacher, you're a minister, you have this call. And I kept saying no. One of the reasons why I kept saying no is because I also identify as a member of the LGBT community and growing up in the South and being a black man and being a black same gender loving man, being in ministry was forbidden mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: and and had been told for years that because of my same sex attraction, God didn't hear me. Um, and so ministry was just not an option. It just wasn't, wasn't something that I felt desired desiring to do and wasn't something that I felt I was equipped to do. Um even though I knew I had a net for caring for people and for empowering people and for encouraging people to do and be better. Um I just did not want to be in ministry and also didn't want the pressure of ministry. Um, right. But I got this call, I decided I'd been a member of another church where I kept realizing that the things that made sense to me didn't make sense to everybody else. And I remember being in a new member's class one day and the teacher saying, um, what, what was the, what, what is the number one important thing about Jesus? And everybody had said all this other stuff about, you know, he was the son of God and, you know, he did miracles and he sacrificed his life. And I kept saying, He was human. Mm -hmm. And the teacher said, you should go to seminary. (laughs) And I said, no. (laughs) Um, And so running from that call, I threw myself into journalism. But it was during this fellowship, this one-year fellowship at the AJC, where uh, I remember very vividly, a little black girl ended up in the hospital after she got hit by a stray bullet in her neighborhood. And my editors and so many other people were adamant that I get information about this little girl, her name, where she was located, her age, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the family kept telling me to leave them alone. And my heart, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now, my heart continued to break for this family because they were afraid, they were scared, they were frustrated. And here I was only adding to their stress. Um, And it was the moment where I decided to go ahead and do seminary. Um, I I started an application and it took me two months to finish that application. Mm -hmm. I submitted the application two days before the deadline. Wow. And the day of the deadline, I got an acceptance. It happened wow, that fast. fast. Wow. And it happened so fast that it scared me. And I deferred for a year. And I said, well, let's just take a year to really make sure this is what I'm supposed to be doing, to really make sure that this is where I am. Um, and the more and more I continued to write and continue to work as a journalist, the more and more frustrated my spirit became. And so I enrolled.
0: Looking back, do you ever feel like you were Jonah?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so tra- tra- fling, fling,
0: fling, Nineveh. <laughs> uh,
1: looking back, I so I have a very special, very odd um, attraction to the wilderness experience texts.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so not only Jonah but Hagar. Um, not only Hagar, but even when Jesus um, went into the wilderness and was tempted, um, those texts are the ones that speak ever clear, ever more clearly to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, yes, throughout my journey, in one way or another, I have felt me having an experience like someone, whomever, at some point in their journey when they were in the wilderness.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having a journalism background myself, I believe, I believe, and I don't, I haven't really seen a lot done on this. And it's something that I'm interested in and something that I think I'm planning to do something on. Um, I believe there's a lot of conflicted spirits in journalists because Mm -hmm. of the, because of the work we have to do.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, and, and as you know, quite a few journalists do find their way to ministry. They
1: do. They do. I, ironically enough, I just met one someone, his name escapes me right now. Um, but, uh, one of my former colleagues when I was at black enterprise put me in touch with a guy who was doing a doctoral program Mm -hmm. in Evanston, Illinois, um, who was at one time a journalist and is now doing ministry work. And so I, I meet them regularly. Um, one young lady who, I was very close to, when I was in seminary, um, is now doing a doctoral a doctoral program around Christian ethics and sexuality, Right. and she's a former journalist. Wow. Uh, but what I realized, what I come to recognize is that a lot of times former journalists will go to seminary and sometimes also do a doctoral program, and a lot of times their doctoral programs are in some area of ethics.
0: Mm-hmm. That uh, makes a either. lot of sense.
1: In some area of ethics or some area of preaching, a lot of them go in either one of those paths for doctoral work.
0: Well, I will have to talk about that with you a little bit later because that's very—that's <laughs> a, a very interesting topic.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. riveting. It's very riveting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm actually I'm going to go on off the beaten path for just a moment. You mentioned your time at Black Enterprise, and okay. you had a very interesting experience at Black Enterprise that a lot of our <laughs> a lot of our readers probably or not readers, our listeners probably don't know about would you share that experience
1: (laughs) oh wow (laughs) so this came up recently um so as i told you i
2: also
1: also have a podcast Mm -hmm. and um in one of our episodes um this topic came up and my co-host was shocked because she had never heard it and and i said well just google it right quick um (laughs) so yes years ago I did a a summer internship at Black Enterprise Magazine in New York, which led into a year-long writing um, fellowship with them as well. At the same time, I sat on the board of the National Association of Black Journalists as their student representative and their first ever um, openly LGBT student representative. But I went into that internship with loss. I had a head for the hair that I had been growing at that time, maybe two or three years. And I knew that Black Enterprise had a reputation um, of having this really strict dress code. So before I got there, before I got to New York, I talked to the head of HR and I said, you know, should I not come? Because I have locks and I have no desire to cut my locks. Mm-hmm.
0: And your and your dreadlocks were roughly shoulder length, weren't they?
1: They were bare, just barely shoulder length, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I always kept them back in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I was just doing because I, so it wasn't for any religious reasons or anything. I just, I was going through a season of searching. I was going through a season of um, trying to make sense of what was happening within me emotionally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I grew these locks as a part of that process. Um, Ironically enough, I cut my locks my last year of seminary again. Wow. Wow. but I went into Black Enterprise with these locks, told HR about them. And HR said, no, it shouldn't be an issue. You know, you're only here for a summer. It should be fine. Well, I get to New York, and on my first day of orientation, every time someone saw me, they said, so you know you to have to cut your locks. <laughs> you know you're going to cut logs. You know you're gonna have to cut your locks. You know you're going to have to cut your locks. And I kept saying... Well, I talked to Natalie about it. Natalie was the head of HR at the time. And Natalie said that everything will be fine. And everybody just kept saying, when you meet Mr. Graves, he is going to say something about your loss. And it is exactly what happened. We were sitting in his office at his table just talking. And I I tried so hard to not sit across from him. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I ended up sitting exactly across from him. And he looked at me, and he said, "Before the week is out, you have to cut your locks. And I responded, "Well, I talked to Natalie about it, <laughs> and he said, but this is my magazine."
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and 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 just again for our listeners, you're talking about Mr. Earl Graves. Yes, senior. Mr. Earl
1: Graves, senior, mm-hmm. who recently passed. Um, and you know, but the reality is. Black Enterprise is an amazing publication. Um, If if it had not been for that time there, I wouldn't be where I am in my career today, to really be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, it is uh, very much a trailblazer in what it means to be black, what it means to be black and successful, and what it means to be black and innovative. Um, But, yeah, I ended up having to cut my locks. They gave me two days. They gave me before the end of the week. To cut my locks, um, or I wouldn't be able to continue my internship, and it turned into one of the biggest news stories in Black media that summer.
0: Now, now let's now let's point this out. Yes, the fact that you were asked to cut the locks wasn't important. Was important, but it was your response, your decision that actually made the news. What was that?
1: I decided to cut my locks, and <laughs> I decided to cut my locks. Because again, it wasn't, this is so funny because this also, I, I'm now, the reason why The reason why we're talking about this Facebook post, one of the editors at Black Enterprise brought this up again on that Facebook post. So wow. <laughs> this has come up several times in the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, I cut my locks because what I was clear about was that this was an opportunity of a lifetime for me. Um, I was already in New York. I was already living there. I was already paying rent there. Um, I had already started connecting with other young journalists in the city, and I just didn't want to leave. Um, Did I think it was slightly unfair? Yes, I did. Um, Could I also understand the reasonings around having to play the game? Yes, of course. Um, What I did not anticipate was the way that so many other people would react or respond, and Mm -hmm. that it would turn into a big news story that summer. Um, I think I should have thought that through a little bit, because again, I was also sitting on the board of the National Association of Black Journalists, the largest journalism organization of color. Um, And so people paid attention to everything I did and said for two years. Mm -hmm. And I did not take that into consideration. Um, And so I just happened to mention it to some friends of mine, um, Jamel Hill being one of them, because at this time we were all very close and sort of growing in our careers. Mm-hmm. And um, Darren Sands, um, who I want to say works for BuzzFeed right now, um, wrote a, a blog post about it. And as a result of that blog post, uh, Rochelle Riley out of Detroit picked it up. Um, another columnist out of North Carolina picked it up. Um, um, Richard Journalisms picked it up. Mm -hmm. Um, Richard Prince. Richard Prince. It became a really big story. And, and, NABJ was honoring Earl Graves that year with the, um, (laughs) with the the Lifetime Achievement Award for which I had nominated him for. (laughs) So, (laughs) it was was just a crazy summer that summer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But, I went ahead and cut my logs and as a result of just my hard work um, I ended up writing for Black Enterprise for a year after my internship ended.
2: That was great.
1: Um, yeah it was it was a great great experience to be able to continue to do the kind of writing that I was doing for them.
0: And And I know I said that I was going off the beaten path introducing that but um, it just shows, I think, that, you know, what what you thought was a personal decision certainly affected your professional life, but yet you went on to thrive and I would say find joy in that decision ultimately.
1: I did. I did. Uh, and, and and find joy because I was doing something very different. Like the writing that I did at Black Enterprise was also writing I had never anticipated on doing. Like I really was not interested in doing business. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. And I thought business writing was actually kind of boring Uh, but the the summer before i had had an opportunity to write for bloomberg news out of washington dc and i think that played a role in what made black enterprise interested in me Mm -hmm. and they also allowed me an opportunity to do my writing in their space so i ended up not doing the quote-unquote boring writing that I thought I would have to do. I got to do some amazing profiles on some amazing Black business owners. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to write for the advertising department in a very creative manner, um, providing um, opinionated, um, encouraging pieces um, that went along with some of their biggest advertising campaigns. And so it really stretched me and allowed me an opportunity to see writing in a lot of different facets um, and to make some pretty good money for a year as a result.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was really a great experience overall. You mentioned, so you mentioned the Facebook post. Let's get into that now. So I've been following you for a while, but this latest post really caught my eye. Why did you decide to share the compliment challenge? And so let me just read it out. The compliment challenge, write your name and I'm going to tell you something that I like slash admire about you best challenge yet we need positive energy in our lives and then you asked people to copy and paste so tell me why you decided to share that
1: so i I came across the the challenge the compliment challenge on another friend's facebook page um i and it was really random like i woke up that morning um sort of was scrolling through my feed and his was the third post that i saw
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and I thought hmm let's just see mostly because my followers don't usually engage me when I do challenges um, and my husband actually laughed and was like I'm surprised you shared it because you don't normally do these things and I don't I'm on my Facebook page anybody who follows me knows that I'm mostly sending you know encouraging words or scriptures that are speaking to me mm-hmm. or, um, what some people call little mini sermons, um, prayers, um, and then sometimes memories from past experiences. But very rarely do I engage challenges um because they can be uh time consuming at times, but then because I also realize my followers don't usually participate in them. Right. My followers don't usually engage them i the few times that I have done a challenge, I would probably get two or three comments or two or three likes, and that would be it. But if I shared a post like a picture of my husband, then I would get like two hundred likes mm-hmm. or 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 a hundred comments and so it's just not something I normally did, mm-hmm. but i I saw it, I commented on that friend's post, and they sent me um uh comment, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I expected that he would say what he said. Um and I was like, you know, this this is pretty encouraging. Like this is this is this is this is for lack of a better phrase, this is hot. Um like <laughs> it, I was like this is cool. And it felt good. Even though again I knew what he was gonna say about me. It's something that he said about me time and time and time again. Right. Um, and so it wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise there, but I liked sort of like the energy behind it. I liked that people were volunteering themselves on his page to hear whatever it was that he had to say about them. And so I thought, why not? Why not give it a shot and see what happens? And in less than 10 minutes, I had 10 people send me their name
2: <laughs> and
1: I was shocked. mm mm-hmm. Um, I was like, wow, like this never happens to me. And then by the time I had commented on at least five of those, I had 10 more names. Um, And it just kept going. And I I have no clue how many names I've had. But I've been, I think this happened with a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And it is now Friday. And I'm still getting names. I am still getting people sending me their names. Um, why, do you, so,
0: why do you think people are sending you their names?
1: So there, there are a few thoughts that I have. Um, one of them being that few few people who have sent me their names, I'm not surprised about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I have, let's say I got 60 names. If I got 60 names, eight of them I knew would send me their names. And that's because eight of them I talk to on a regular basis, on social media, off social media, et cetera. And I also know that they send me their names because, for lack of a better phrase, they like to mess with me (laughs) and are self-serving individuals. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was not surprised about those names. Some of the other names, there are a lot of names who were people I've known when I was just a young journalist trying out what journalism was Mm -hmm. to people who I've probably just become friends with on Facebook in the past few weeks. And what it says to me is that people right now need positive reinforcement, Um, especially for the people who I have not known that long. Mm. The fact that they wanted or wanted to hear something from me, whatever that is, says that they were in need at the time. And so why not provide for them some type of something that'll help them get by? Why not say something nice about people at this very uncertain, unpredictable, scary, um, struggling moment? That'll give them um, whatever it is they need to keep going during that day. Why not do that? What has also been interesting for me is when I have sent the comments or sent the compliments, Mm -hmm. people's responses have gone from um, crying emojis um, to crying GIFs to that made me smile, um, to um, there was one somebody who said, you know, I miss, we used to work together. And she said, uh, this post reminded me of the moments when I would just come to your workspace and we worked together during lunch just to hear you say something encouraging because it was what I needed that day. Um, And so it reinforced for me the role and the power of, um, um, the ministry identity, Mm -hmm. but also the power of, cause I have a professor who told me a long time ago when I first started in seminary and when I first started in ministry, that the preaching moment, um, is not just when you are standing at the pulpit, delivering the good news of Jesus. The preaching moment is what you share on social media. The preaching moment is, Um, when you're walking down the street and someone takes notice of how you carry yourself. Mm. Uh, As a preacher, you are preaching every day of your life. Um, You are ministering from the moment you wake up to the moment you lay down to go to sleep. And so this was just an extension of the preaching moment. I think Um, at the same time, I think this also was just a moment for for people to reconnect. Um, Again, there were some people who sent their names I knew when I was starting out in journalism in the early 2000s um, who have, one of them I told um, that she had always been consistent with me. When I made the transition from full-time journalist to ministry, she was one of the few people who stayed connected, Um, and I appreciated that because there were a lot of journalists who my stepping into ministry made no sense to them. Mm. And they made it very, very known. And there were some people who did what the the Black Southerners did in my time of growing up. You're Black, you're gay, you can't be a minister. Mm. Um, and so that happened a lot when I left journalism and, and enrolled in seminary. And one person who sent me their name was one of the people who stayed consistent and stayed connected. And so my compliment was her, to her was, one of the things I appreciate the most about you is that you stayed con- consistent and you were supportive. And you stayed connected to me when everybody else was unsure and didn't provide for me the support that I needed. And so I thank you for that. And mm-hmm. she responded and said that, you know, I made her cry. Um, and I was like, wow, like this is powerful. Um,
0: that's the word. That was the word I was thinking of really powerful.
1: It was powerful. It was very, very powerful. Um, it was overwhelming (laughs) because again, I'm still getting names (laughs) and I'm getting names from like family members, old friends, people I knew in high school, Mm -hmm. people I knew in elementary school. Have you, Um,
0: have you ever run into the challenge where you're like, okay, I know you're my Facebook friend, but I'm not sure I remember you.
1: (laughs) Yes. So when I talked about, um, the black enterprise editor, uh, when she sent me her name, I had a very brief moment of, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. How do I know this person? Right. Um, and I started going back in my memory of when did I meet this, meet this individual and what impact did they have in my life? And, I knew I knew her, but for some really weird reason, I could not peg where exactly the 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 beginning the genesis of our relationship um, mm-hmm. escaped me, but the details of our interactions since the meeting were were coming to me. And she responded and said, yes, because you know when you were at Black Enterprise and they had you cut your hair. A lot of us were really upset. And I remembered so many of the editors standing up for me in those few days that I had before I cut my hair mm-hmm. of saying I shouldn't have to do that. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I remember this all of a sudden. Um, and so she was one of them of somebody that I knew I remembered her and I remember working with her, but I couldn't put my hand on all of the details of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I ended up giving her two compliments, Um, one of the memory of the history sense and then one of the appreciation from that specific moment.
0: Wow, what a great conversation. And we're not over with. So please come back and listen to part two of my conversation with Michonne Simon. Uh, as we talk a little bit more about that Facebook compliment challenge and why it is so important at this time during the injustices that we're all experiencing or that we're witnessing and just the stress and anxiety that many of us have. So, uh, definitely come back and listen to part two. Thanks for listening. And as always, this has been Positively Joy. I'm your host, Yvette Walker. Farewell for now.